Yo ho ho, it's time to go Back to the dungeon far below Players arrive in time to die Man, I love to watch them cry Grab some dice, grab some fun Join the teachers in the dungeon Hello, everybody, and welcome to Teachers in the Dungeon. I'm Tom Gross, and joining me as he does every week is my friend and co-host, Dan Ream. Hello, Dan. I am here, ready to go. <laughs> as am I. And you know, Dan, I had to uh, travel a little deeper into the dungeon that we have here and see our resident wizard recently. I asked him to uh, whip up a potion for me to help me stay chill. So he brewed up a nice, tasty little potion that he calls Settle Down. He said, I needed that because I'm super excited for our guest tonight. He is the <laughs> co-host of Dungeons & Dragons official podcast, Dragon Talk, as well as the author of a recently released book. Welcome to Dragon Talk, inspiring conversations about Dungeons & Dragons and the people who love to play it. And, you know, he's got a pretty cool day job, too, as Senior Communications Manager at Wizards of the Coast. And, ladies and gentlemen, our studio audience of goblins, giant spiders, and our wizard friend, please welcome Greg Tito. Welcome, Greg. Hey, thanks, guys. Excited to be here. We're excited as well. So, Greg, you and I connected at Gen Con very quickly. Really thankful. I was standing in line that that kind of went around a corner into a, a, a ballroom area where the wizard's team was sitting. And, and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get that. I get an autograph and meet you. And you came walking out. <laughs> so I'm standing there in the corner. <laughs> you came walking out and you turned to your right and you saw the book in my hand and you so graciously came over and said, Hey, did you want me to sign that? Or do you want to come down to the booth? And I'm like, Ah, that's a long ways away right now. And <laughs> so, so I was so thankful that you uh, were able to uh, stop and we were able to visit a little bit, and which led to this. That was exciting. Yeah, I uh, was exactly as you described, looking for people holding the red cover of Welcome to Dragon Talk and just making sure I wasn't going to abandon anyone who was looking forward to uh, hopefully getting that signed. So yeah, it was, as many things at Gen Con, a fortuitous meeting, uh, and it involved not wanting to walk anymore, which is also <laughs> wow. very indicative of Gen Con, right? <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. How was your how was your visit to Gen Con this year? Had you been before? I had been before. Actually, I covered it as a journalist um, back in 2008, I think it was the first time I went. It was the year that, uh, unfortunately, Gary Gygax had passed away earlier that year. And so it was um, a celebratory uh, event then. And I was just being the, the fly on the wall trying to uh, cover it all. And, and it, was, uh, it was very exciting to be there then when I was really just getting into playing Dungeons and Dragons a whole bunch uh, and, and covering the, the game. Um, so yeah, I went a few times after that. Sometimes as an exhibitor, I, I had a few RPG books that I was demoing for people and, and running games all weekend long at some points. And, and it fell off of my, my schedule for, for a bit. And so um, I think this return in 2023 was the first time in, in 10 years. I think my previous time was 2013. So it was, wow. it was really nice to be back uh, to Indy and see the changes and you know, the way the convention had spread to you know, even more buildings than I remember it being in back then. And you know, just the image of seeing Lucas Oil Stadium filled with gamers 
on that floor, you know, where there's usually, you know, cheerleaders and, and Gatorade and, and uh, uh, so many people, uh, you know, dressed up in blue and white. Um, it was very nice to see, you know, tables filled with people playing card games and board games and the fun and amazingness that happened in, in, in that area. So yeah, it was a really great uh, return. And we're, I'm looking forward to, to, you know, heading back to, to Gen Con and many more conventions uh, over the next year. Did you have a chance to do any just demos or games for your own enjoyment or were you pretty much booked? I was pretty much booked, unfortunately. That's the the danger of, uh, you know, it sounds great. You're like, oh, you know, work is paying me to go to Gen Con, but then you actually have to work during Gen Con and <laughs> don't get to enjoy it as much. I did spend, you know, some time walking the floor and 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 seeing the sights and, you know, of course, getting some some stuffed animals for my girls and, and things like that. So I did, uh, I did that. But as far as, you know, being able to sit and enjoy a game, did not find time to do that, sadly, this time. So it's common for us to ask our guests this question. And so I want to uh, make sure we don't miss it with you as well. You alluded mm-hmm. to it a little bit ago about your when you started getting into uh, playing Dungeons & Dragons. And so we'd love to know what your origin story is in role-playing mm. games. And how did RPGs come into your life? And then how did it get it to where you are today? Because I'm assuming your job and your life in some way revolves around the ebb and flow of Dungeons & Dragons. Totally, yeah. I remember pretty much the exact moment I understood and learned what what Dungeons & Dragons was. My, I have older brothers. You know, the My older siblings are seven, eight, and nine years older than me. So... In the 80s, they were very much, you know, in their teenage years. And I was, you know, born in 78. So I was much younger than them, but felt like a teen during those times. And there was a neighbor who had a hand-me-down box, right? Like that thing of like, he was, you know, four or five years older than them. And it was like, oh, here's some old plaid shirts I don't wear. Here's some things. And, and uh, you know, we called it the Brandon Collection because, you know, it was it was his hand-me-downs were cool looking, I guess, to my my siblings. So they were very cool to me. Um, and then they ended up with a Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, you know, those, not like the old, old ones from from 74, but like the uh, advanced and basic uh, mm. line from the early 80s, late, late 70s there. And it went on their shelf. And I don't think they looked at it very much, but me being the inquisitive, always wanted to be older, younger kid, pulled stuff off my brother's shelf all the time. That's how I started reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in fourth grade and and uh, Lord of the Rings uh, in, in fifth right. grade and, and all of these. You know, so I, I love doing that. And then I picked up this book and I was like, what is this? And I saw the text and I saw the the evocative um, you know artwork on the cover and the line drawings in it. And I started to realize this was like the computer games that I like to play, except it was a simulation of the fantasy worlds that I also love. And I was mesmerized. I loved that whole idea of having a second life in a fantasy world. Uh, you know, many kids do have that that fantasy, right? I'd also been reading, you know, The Dark is Rising and, and that whole idea of like, oh, being inaugurated into a secret society. And a little bit felt like that when I opened up this book. I was like, oh, there's so many cool histories to tell. And oh, you get this and you get, you know, plus one here. And I was uh, fascinated by the story of the Druids and how... You know, once you get to a certain level and in that edition, you had to, you know, go find the druid who was level 10 and and take him out. And that was the only way you could be level 10. It was to 
<laughs> to to physically best that druid and then get you know farther and farther up the thing. And so like little details like that stuck in my brain. Um, but uh, as I've often said on the podcast and in in, in the book. My parents and you know my family was extremely Roman Catholic at the time. Uh, well, I guess they still are. <laughs> Three out of the four <laughs> siblings are 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 basically atheists. Uh, so I'll tell you how 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 good that uh, indoctrination went. But uh, they did not uh, want me playing D anD D, and so that book was quickly out of my grasp when I was you know six or seven or eight years older, however it was. And I had always tried to make friends that played D&D. And it was very difficult when it was your parents who had to drive you to those friends. And so they'd be like, what are you going to do? I'm like, we're just going to hang out. And then, you know, they eventually figured out that I was attempting to to play and talk to the parents. And so, yeah, I never really materialized when I was uh, young. A few fits and starts in college when I had a little bit more freedom. Uh, But by that time, I was really focused on theater. I was in the theater department at the University of Connecticut. Um, and so you'd think, I mean, I've heard from other theater people that the Dungeons and Dragons was rife in their, in their drama departments, but it wasn't in ours. Uh, there were a few that played and we had a few sessions, but nothing that really took off. And it wasn't until I was living in New York City, uh, I got married to my wife who I met in the theater and I was a little bit stagnated in my creative life. We had done some producing of plays and things like that. And I was like, huh, I, I I need some creative outlet. I bet here in New York City, there are some people who play Dungeons and Dragons. Like I can fulfill this, this want that I've had forever, which was to find a like-minded people and roll some dice together and, and really get into it. And so I did. Uh, and that was like, you know, when internet forums were the, the norm of of getting to know people back in the early 2000s. And I had a few groups that I didn't necessarily jive with that we met with in like cafes and stuff in, mm. in New York City. Eventually met this group and we played through the Age of Worms campaign through uh, in Dungeon Magazine um, mm. in 3.5 era. And we you know met every week for two or three years there going through that entire campaign. And my Dungeon Master was uh, independently wealthy. His wife was a, was a corporate lawyer. And so he basically had nothing to do except take care of his kid and plan our D and D campaign, <laughs> um, which was fantastic. That's nice work. Uh, and he was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm cool with being a house husband as long as I can play as much D and D as I could. And he had Amen. unlimited income to be able to have the miniatures and things to to really blow it out of the water. So it was a really great first experience and wet my whistle for everything to come. Uh, and so. Funnily enough, a lot of that group were people who were creative and 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 wanted to make RPG materials, and you know we did some stuff uh, along those lines, and that led me to writing about video games and and trying to submit into the at the time the Escapist, uh, which was a online uh, video game thing with the bent of being about tabletop as well, and mm-hmm. then that kind of led to where I am now. Eventually, uh, after being a game journalist for five years, and then crossing the line to be a public relations and kind of communications at Wizards of the Coast. And and uh, it's kind of strange. Once I got hired here, I remember my, my wife being like, hey, do you remember that? We, you, I asked you that question of like companies you wanted to work for back in like <laughs> 2004. And Wizards of the Coast was one of them. And she's like, you kind of have your dream job, don't you? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I do. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, you know, because uh, it was it was a whirlwind moving my family across the country and... and uh, uh, make it all happen. So it really took a, a few moments for it to set in, but it uh, is 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 you know just a, a wonderful 
part of my life and I always will continue to be. And and uh, in running the podcast uh, that you mentioned, Dragon Talk, for the last eight years, so I feel like I've just met and been introduced to so many creative, wonderful people uh, through this game. And it's, you know, the, the attitude even from then and, and when I started in 2015 to now has grown and changed and been even more mainstream. So it's been it's been a wonderful journey from not being allowed to play in, in 1985 mm. to now parents being like, hey, how can I get my kids to play? It's yeah. it's wonderful to see that 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 shift. I gotta gotta say you're I'm having flashbacks listening to you. I had a Baptist mom, which mm. I think ranks right up there. Um, oh, totally. And, and listen to your story. I'm I'm brought back to our house in Roscoe, Illinois, in the early 1980s when I got one session under my belt before my mom heard something about boots of levitation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, man, not playing that. Yeah, they think you're all going to be falling leaf. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> from the Jack Chick track. Uh, yeah, no. yeah. I even remember, I don't know if you had this, but there was like a, a video that my mom showed me that was like kind of stylized and produced like a like a PSA. Mm. Like, but it was this guy being like, here's all the dangers of Dungeons and Dragons. And it's like, <laughs> oh no. And it was, wow, what are you showing me? Like it was, it was bizarre how far they took like the... Like guys, it's just a game. It's not real. Like I know it's not. Do you actually think magic is real? Like I got to that point where I'm like, I think my mom actually thinks demons and devils are real. <laughs> yes, I, I did go and look up that tract after I read about it in your book. I had never come across it, and oh. I, because I'm Baptist, I have seen some of his other tracks, and I got to say the D and D one hit a new low. I thought. <laughs> I could have done way better if I wanted to scare people. Um, this, this is just embarrassing, man. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't really, the guy didn't have an understanding of what the game actually was. It, it's funny, people who, who want to take things away from people like that, they, they rarely know what it is they're trying yeah. to take people away from. It's interesting. As a school librarian, I'm familiar with those, oh, those yeah. uh, feelings. <laughs> it's but happening a lot now. But Yes. Yeah. yeah. There's something you said that, that really, really meant a lot to me. Uh, you said that, that Dungeons and Dragons brought you a second life in a mm. fantasy world. And man, I, I, that really resonates with me because I think it, as a kid, that is what I, I use that for. Mm -hmm. it, and it wasn't because anything necessarily is bad in my life. It's just, I, I loved that. I loved playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends. And, mm -hmm. and I think that was it. But I do want to ask this question. You open, your the opening title or chapter of your book is titled, What is D&D? &D? Mm -hmm. And so I want to ask you this question. Why do you think Dungeons and Dragons is so hard to define? I mean, it takes you, what, 15 pages to get to <laughs> some kind of a... Why is that? Why is this so difficult to define? I think it's because... And, and I try to touch on this in the book, but it, it's because it encompasses so many disciplines. And it's not even really the same from table to table which disciplines it encompasses, right? Like, you can play in a game that's a you know tactical ship battle game that's D, D, right you could play in a game that's no rolling dice whatsoever and people are just being their characters and interacting with each other on a pure story character level 
And it's still the same game and it's still the same pastime that people have with each other. So I think that's part of why it's hard to define, but it's also not like anything in our adult lives right now, right? Like, mm-hmm. and so I, I, that's one reason why I try to explain it like as simple as I can with people to start because I was like, do you remember playing pretend when you were a kid? Mm-hmm. It's that. It, and it <laughs> is. It's basically that. It's basically just made up rules. It's kind of like Calvin Ball mixed with uh, uh, improv <laughs> theater. It's it's a bit arbitrary, but it's a shared framework. And that's what's really kind of hard to grasp as an adult. If you're, if you're decades removed from that freedom of mm-hmm. making stuff up with your friends, whatever scenario it is, whether it's, you know, when we were younger, it was cops and robbers and cowboys and Indians and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But now it's, it's, it's D&D. Like that's, that's the fun that people get out of making stuff up. And that's, you lose that as an adult. Most, most adults, adults who aren't gamers lose that type of freedom of play. And I think that's part of why it has resurged in population now is because people are, are realizing that like that's a, a vital part of the human experience. And, you know, I'm not sure exactly what were the forces that, that drummed that out of people uh, as, as adults. You know, I could think of, you know, the 50s and, you know, and the, that whole kind of, uh, you know, nuclear family idea of, you know, father knows best. Maybe that was it. But uh, I love that now people are embracing these types of uh, stories and then wanting to create stories within those frameworks now inspired by the success of, you know, the Lord of the Rings movies in the early 2000s. I can't, I keep going back to those because I think those were the ones that really felt like they broached, I mean, Star Wars to a certain example too, but like, like that it's okay to love stuff that is weird and fanciful. And then that laid the groundwork for kids, you know, who were, who were, young in that time now they're older and able to to kind of embrace that a little bit more than our 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 older predecessors did but yeah it's a very difficult thing to define and i think that's also why it's great that video and streaming has become so prevalent because i don't think we would also have this resurgence without that that showing not telling of of what the game is you you get to see people play that's what, you know, barring playing yourself, watching people play is like the best way to kind of really understand what it is. A lot of what you're saying resonates. And I, I've had, I, I've had the same sort of tongue tiedness when someone asks me, well, what is it? And the best I can come up with is group storytelling and listening to you. It, you know, something that's kind of rolled around the back of my head. I probably saw it somewhere. I know I didn't come up with it on my own, but you know, that storytelling is so deeply rooted in human experience. And I just keep getting images of people around a campfire or a cave fire telling each other stories and how that would have been just integral. And like you said, we've kind of got away from that, but this kind of shows that's, you know, we haven't, we haven't changed. Human nature still needs that. And it's exciting to kind of see people discover that. Yeah, I love that image of the. I mean, it's something I've used a lot when uh, talking to journalists who don't uh, have that that framework of of what D and D is, right? Like, it's it's a great way to kind of root it in an instinct in in what makes us human, right? Like, say we've been gathering around uh, a fire or a table for thousands and you know perhaps even tens of thousands of years, and in in some ways, it's what makes humans human is 
this commune, uh, you know, the community of people coming together and telling stories together uh, and participating right. in it together. And so it's getting back to that kind of almost uh, uh, primal instinct of, of, of what makes us who we are as, as a people. I think it's also cool how it unites people too. Like there are, yeah. it, it doesn't matter what your background is or, or or who your parents are or where you came from. You still, we we all as humans still have this, this, the same need and desire to, to, to come together and, and, and tell stories. Yeah. We, um, we had our first Dungeons and Dragons night in our game club this, uh, of the year tonight, uh, right? Not too long before we started recording. Nice. And I had the benefit of, I delayed my game a month and we, we started our, our game club with, with one group of kids about seven or eight years ago. And there are about six of them. And today we have nine games with five kids wow. each with a waiting list that are playing some games off to the side while the rest of us are playing. And they're just, they're just waiting for someone not to show up. <laughs> <laughs> like they come and they're like, I hope someone doesn't come so I can get into a game. But, but to, the reason I mentioned that is when you talk about it unites us is it doesn't matter who's sitting down at that table with mm-hmm. the, with our kids. They, you know, it, it's, kids from all walks of life sitting down at a table. I've got the valedictorian, you know, as a DM. And then <laughs> I've got a student who has autism, you know, at the table. And I've got, you know, other students that, that you know, they, you know, they had to walk to school a mile because they don't have a ride there. It's just, it's a whole variety of kids, but that all goes away when they sit down totally. with the character sheet in front of them and the DM starts telling the story. It was it was just really cool and and I'm sorry Dan that you never get to see that because you're always at the table and this is really my only chance because like I said next month I'll I'll start my game but there's something else about that opening that you talked about that I want to go back to sure. and I don't know as a as a librarian Greg and Dan I always I always hope someday that someone will write a paper or give a presentation and I'll be the citation. Like I'll be, according to Tom Gross, uh, Greg, you're going to get that. Okay, you're going to get that here uh, because I'm going to use this passage from the book. It's the paragraph that begins. And I don't know how, how, I've never written a book. So I don't know if when I say the paragraph opening, if you'll be like, oh yeah. Or if it'll be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Anyway, <laughs> you start with I, this. I can't amazing, wait. <laughs> you start with this amazing image. You say D&D is like building a cathedral dash in your mind. Mm-hmm. I just think that image is so great. I can't wait to give that image to a kid who can draw and say, can you make that for me? And what do you see when you, when you read that? But it's further down in that paragraph that I'm going to use you as a source because you say, and I'm going to, I'm going to read right from your book because I can't say it better. You say Dungeons and Dragons teaches empathy, communication, arithmetic, logic, tactics, soft skills, project management. It asks you to prioritize cooperation celebrate your cohorts, resolve conflict efficiently. It can feel as elegant as a ballet, as silly as a farting pig, and as tense as a drive-in horror film. As an educator, those lines couldn't speak clearer to me. And mm. that is why Dan and I do this. We, we have a game club in our school. We run an RPG summer camp. And that it's those lines why we do that. Because it does so much for the kids. And again, I, I alluded to I get to, I allude to, I, I said, I, I walked around today and watched, and I was watching some of our kids that are older and the, the seniors, and I'm like, how far they have come. 
And they would have grown up on their own anyway. But I like to think that they're all leaders of these games and they're sharing the stories and they're and and they're just ah, they've grown so much. And I like to think that Dungeons and Dragons and running a game has been a, a big help for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you. I I that was Shelly, my co-host and co-author. That was her favorite bit from the book, too. She loved that and couldn't really figure out a way to encompass it either. Like it's some part of the reason why. I wrote that section because she's like, I, I I don't know how to write this. Uh, you know, can you do it? I'm like, sure, I'll give it a try. But it's it's hard to encompass it all in that. But I I also love that cathedral line, and that comes from a thought that someone told me uh, when I was a game journalist talking about video games. They said that like a AAA you know RPG type of video game doesn't anything that has it is like a our version of a cathedral. In medieval times or in Renaissance times, cathedrals had to use you know had to use masons and roofers and architects and mm. and uh, every basically artisan in the city would be employed at some point working on a cathedral from the painters to the decorators to you know to the carpenters to everybody was 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 focused on building that thing. And uh, the person I was talking to, I, I forget even who it was, but it was basically saying modern video games are like that too because they have to have uh, the, the technology behind it, but then all art and, and you know, all, the, all the disciplines that encompass making up that type of thing. And so that, that image always stuck in my brain. And what I was trying to come up with a way to describe D&D, as, as we said, it's not the easiest thing to describe. I, I try to latch onto that and, and, and show the examples of the, the different breadth of, of games that you can play, you know, Maybe got a little too flowery in my language, but but I enjoyed it because it it made it, you know it <laughs> let me be a little bit poetic about this silly game that we love to play. Yeah, I just lectured about this in my European history class yesterday, mm. and the other thing that just struck me as you were saying that is the other thing about cathedrals is you don't really know where one person's work left off and the next one began. Nobody signed their name; it's just right. a communal effort. There were no superstars, you know, that everybody knows about. It's just we have the result. And that seems to fit the game as well, that it, it, you can't really point to any one person. I mean, the DM, but it's the result of everybody contributing. Yeah, and all the, all the, the, the DMs before them, uh, you know, everybody is, is standing on the shoulders of giants uh, all, <laughs> all the way down, right? Like, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing. And, you know, in the other parallel, I didn't make this in the book, but I'm in talking about it now, cathedrals took decades to build, right? Like it was not a, oh yeah, let's just build it for a year or two. <laughs> like, you know, sometimes right. it was centuries to build, right? But, you know, and the whole community needed to do it. And in some ways, I think the five decades of D&D, you know, in 1974 was not a complete product. It wasn't really good even uh, if you look at the writing you know <laughs> much, much respect to, to uh the creators and the writers of, of 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 that iteration but going back in time man you're like oof i would have done that differently All right and then and then after decades and decades you know i feel like now we're at uh i think a much more complete finished product and the folks that are are, are running it now like jeremy crawford and chris parkins are like yeah no we couldn't have gotten to where we were without the, the the creative giants before us but like you know it's 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 a culmination of of everybody who contributed from the dungeon masters at individual tables to to folks at conventions to to the internet now having this 
huge additive, uh, you know, thing to spread the, the the trends and things that are going on, um, you know, beyond lines of, of of countries or states or even continents. Like it's, you know, we wouldn't have been where we are now if we hadn't been incrementally increasing along the way. Right. Speaking of that creative process and finishing. As of this mm. recording, just this week, the Wizards of the Coast <laughs> released a new book titled Fandelver Below. And I'm sorry, I just messed up the <laughs> It's, it's an and, and Below. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Below. I got to look at the actual book. I can't read my notes now. The Shattered... The Shattered Obelisk. Obelisk. Yes, I'm looking at the... I have the variant cover that's green mm. and it has all shades of green. It's super, super cool. What is it like around the office on a day when a book comes out that you've all had a hand in in some way, whether it's through marketing, whether it's through art, writing, you know, production. What's that like around the office when a book comes out? Um, it's, it's a little different now since so many of us are working from home in general. So the mm-hmm. office is, is what we're, we're typing to each other or, you know, congratulating either on, on, on video calls like this one. But I can tell you when I started at Wizards, there was a very small team who were just working on Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, it was around 20, 25 people who did the graphic design, the art, direction, the writing of the material and the design and the marketing and the community development and the communications and all the the publishing decisions. It was this little kind of startup within Wizards um, that was pushing what we believed as very strongly is like, you know, this this new era of Dungeons and Dragons coming from, from fifth edition. And we all sat in the same kind of area in the office. And so when those books came out, like like Curse of Strahd, for example, was a labor of love that was produced relatively quickly. Uh, I think I think the story goes that Perkins wrote it over a winter break, like oh basically like in one month uh, <laughs> from, from, you know, early December to mid-January. And uh, we got it published, I think that spring, like I think it went really fast, that one. And no one really thought it was going to take off. I think we were a little bit like, ah, let's just see. I don't know. It's made. You know, Perkins went ahead and did it. So let's go ahead and, and, and make it happen there. And there was some marketing around it and, and things. But the excitement of the reception of that was extremely gratifying because it kind of like it felt like a like a risk, right? Uh, I guess, you know, the, the downside that, that people wouldn't wouldn't like it, but they gravitated it towards it so much more. And, you know, it touched a nerve. I think I think Twilight had something to do with that, quite quite honestly. But like the fact that vampires were 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 still extremely in the public consciousness. And then here True. we had this this uh you know really dapper looking seducing type of vampire on the cover with the with the uh you know goblet of of wine. It just it looked very different than many people thought of Dungeons and Dragons being you know, even even then, right? Because before that was was Tiamat and and you know Tyranny of Dragons, very you know kind of standard fantasy fair. And here was something that was like very seductive, honestly, uh, and and it hit a nerve. And it's you know still continuing to be one of the most popular, if not the most popular, adventure that that Dungeons and Dragons has produced in the last ten years, right? And so that was really wonderful to be in the office there because, it, like I said, it was a, it was it was not a sure thing. 
and here it was having folks just you know really latch onto it and be really excited about it and us being able to see that in real time on the internet on on you know twitter and comment boards and I guess there weren't really comment boards at that time, but you know, in in the social side, guys was was really great, and uh, you know, a lot of just not actual high fiving, but metaphorical high fiving of us being like, oh, okay, yeah, there is something here. This high flying risk might actually pay off. Was was kind of the feeling when that book especially came out. Yeah, but it's changed now. There's a lot more uh, moving parts. A lot of different people working yeah. in the company, and you know, I personally love working from home. Uh, it's great for for being able to be a parent and still be a mm-hmm. part of my kids lives and and all that but we we do i will say lo- miss out on on what you're talking about uh, tom of that like you know mm-hmm. celebratory like game release kind of moment doesn't yeah. quite have the same the same punch that it did also <laughs> it's you know it's not quite a risk anymore people are all like oh yeah people are gonna love this because you know <laughs> it, it, it hits on all the right notes and yeah and uh, uh people are gonna dig van delver uh you know and, and and going back to that adventure that for many people that starter set adventure was their introduction to fifth edition and so yeah. having that expanded and and immortalized <laughs> i don't know if that's the right word but you know in a hardcover um no. book was something that was mm-hmm. really exciting for the for the team to be able to uh you know have a legacy there yeah, the initial reviews that I've seen come out about it have been really positive. I've had a chance to spend about 20 minutes flipping through it and it seems very cohesive. It fe- seems very it, it it's it's linear to the play to the DM, but I think the players get a, a chance to, you know, explore and I really liked the layout of this of this book and I can't wait to get a little bit deeper into it. And it's and it's interesting. I can't wait to share your story about The Curse of Strahd. Because one of our student DMs is running mm. that this year, so I, oh, I can't nice. wait. <laughs> I can't wait to see her reaction and to see that adventure kind of play itself out through the school year. Yeah, it's 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 a special one for many people, um, you know. And we've expanded on it a couple of times with the uh, the new edition. There's the coffin shaped edition uh, that's really mm-hmm. cool, and yeah. So uh, there's a lot of ways to get into it now for sure. I was going to say, I, you, speaking of books, that's not as good a segue as you would have done, Tom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they can't all be 20s. <laughs> oh, around here they are. <laughs> but I, Tom obviously gave, Tom is much more up on news in the D&D world. So he's the one mm. that you know, gave me your book to read. And... I, I was interested to read it, but uh, I'll be honest, I, I limited knowledge beyond my my own little sphere. So I was, I, I, I appreciated, and I don't know if I say caught off guard, but just you can tell you really poured your heart into this book. Mm. And I, I appreciated the turning and directly facing the reader almost in every section as you kind of talk through some of these people that you had interacted with. And I, I struggled to even come up with a question just because I, I, I'm kind of just still soaking into the book a little bit. But so many fascinating people. you got teachers, actors, and then just, for lack of a better term, civilians who got caught up in this game um, that you've interviewed and all have these, these wonderful stories. And I don't know, maybe this is a cliched question, but is there a common thread among these people that you've interviewed, something that stands out that, I don't know, either something that makes them a natural fit for D&D or I don't really know how to word it better than that. But I just, I was wondering, you obviously have been able to step back and look at the book as a whole. What theme do you see kind of running through these people? Um, that's, a, that's a really interesting question. I think part of why we chose the people we did 
to write about was because they resonated with us personally. So that's the real common thread was that me or Shelly had a really strong personal reaction to the stories that we we wanted to write about. So that's the, the main through line to me was like they these were, you know, out of the you know, 400 interviews we've done, like, you know, these were the folks that like, oh God, that I still think about that interview or like I still, something that they said resonated with me or or I realize now uh, in the case of uh, uh, the essay about interviewing Tanya to pass, how it was a turning point in my life uh, and how, uh, and, and my professional life as well. So I think that's the the more common through line, but we also picked a lot of people that would feel not samey, right? Like we wanted to have ones that felt very different and 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 showed the breadth of uh, D and D players out there, and that the hope was that a reader could identify with some of them. You know, they may not, maybe not all of them, but at least some of them would be like, "Oh, that's like me," or "That's like me," and and kind of you know pull up those threads. And what I'm proud about this book as in in trying to give it in a pitch to people about like why they should read it. Uh, and you know, I was doing this at the booth that you guys uh, mentioned mm-hmm. early on at Gen Con and got a, more than a few people buying the book just by listening to me talk about it, which was As they very should. fascinating. Um, <laughs> but was uh, was that this is an introduction to that community. You know, like if you're, there are certainly mm-hmm. people who are D&D fans who are more eternally online than others, I will say, and, and know the ins and outs and the personalities and the, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, celebrities within the D&D community. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are many who don't, who just love to play, you know, on a weekly basis and, you know, don't follow the news of what's happening in, in, in you know, the Twitter sphere or whatever. And so I think this book is a great way to show uh, that that latter category, you know, like yourself, Dan, of like, here's here's what every... Buddy is doing with this game, how they interact with it in different ways. Here's how, you know, a movie director who's directed, uh, uh, the, you know, the animation like the Minions, like, you know, and how they interact with the game to the the streamers and, and you know, more uh, uh, live play personalities that are out there and how they're doing it, right? So, you know, I, I like this being like, you don't need to be eternally online. You can get a big picture of the people who are playing this game right now by by reading the stories in this book. Yeah, well, I certainly did. It worked for me. That, that it, <laughs> such a big Good. world, just within D and D, it was it was fun to hear. And, and as you said, I guess yeah, the the folks that just, for lack of a better way to put it, get plucked off the street in Chicago and end up finding yeah. their way into, if not a career, then at least you know making a splash with their contributions. Yeah, yeah, and some of the stories in there are ones that just you know still make me tear up uh, to this day mm-hmm. you know like the Cade Wells especially and he's done a lot of work with us on on education uh, and and trying to incorporate D&D in the classroom itself not just in you know the amazing clubs and stuff that you guys are talking about doing but like you know how to use it as a as a teaching tool in the classroom and some of the stories that he told bring a tear to my eye and then Rufus Hound was another one that I uh, I was not familiar with his work he's much more of a UK based actor but Man, the way he told his story about this game teaching him that he was an alcoholic and that he needed help mm-hmm. was so unexpected because he's such a charming personality that you think he's joking, 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 joking. And then here he is crying with us on the microphone. It was just really touching. And it's just one of those like, man, this is just a game. 
but it <laughs> can do so much for so many people in different ways and different parts and different you know stages of their life. It's you know there's nothing like it. Reading reading the book it took me back because I've I've heard probably most of those interviews. What I appreciated about it was you didn't just recap and say what what the interview was about. You you like mm-hmm. refl- it was reflection, and I I love that personally. I love reflection on things, and so that's one thing that I truly loved about that. And I wish I could remember. It might have been Rufus. I was shoveling the driveway listening to uh, one of the shows. And it just, I don't remember except the instance where I remember I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to start, <laughs> I'm going to start tearing up. And I meant shoveling the driveway and my tears just might freeze on my face. And, wow. uh, and there's so many story, stories that, that you guys brought out from people that made me laugh, inspired me, that made me tear up or, you know, gave me, gave me reason to keep pushing forward in, in, in playing the game or in, in more, learning more about the game. So I truly appreciate the work that both you and Shelly did on that book. But I want to I turn very quickly. It's, I need to respect your time and uh, finish this up. But I, I want to ask, sure. Greg Tito is, is not just Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> you have personal projects that you like to do. Uh, I know you're in theater. I know you're a screenwriter. I know you're an author. So tell us about some of the projects that you've got going on in your life, if you're able to do that, or give us a hint of what some of the things are that you've got going on. Yeah, absolutely. It is... I, I don't know if it's just it gotten to a certain age or enough of a of a push creatively, and maybe even this book was a big part of it. So I owe Shelley for for you know kicking me into high gear and writing here now. But I'm producing a lot more work than I have you know in my past twenty years of 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 being an adult. Quite honestly, some of them. <laughs> <laughs> are I, I create I made a short film uh, last year called Ex Husband. It's about a fast talking, really loud mouthed and and boisterous slash abusive woman CEO, and she drinks a lot and she's you know has a good time with many of the 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 men in her life. Um, but then she gets some bad news and has to kind of reassess everything that she's uh, kind of going through. And it's a comedy. It's one of those like trying to. All these these characters that I I always thought were very funny, the irascible old men like in Jack Nicholson and As Good as It Gets or something like that. I just loved that, and I was like, I would really love to see more more women portrayed in that way because mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but I know many women who are more foul mouthed than I am, and <laughs> they make me laugh so much playing against type like that. And I just wanted to dramatize that and show it. And so I worked with a, a group of filmmakers, uh, two of which. I actually had interviewed on Dragon Talk. They run a, a D&D show called Brooklyn Quarter. And they had just made a short film. And I was like, hey, do you guys want to do this one? And they were like, okay, yeah, let's let's try and raise some funds and make it happen. And so, yeah, we shot it last year. And uh, we just had our Los Angeles premiere at the uh, Chinese Man Theaters on, on Hollywood Boulevard there. So that was really great to see it on the big screen. You know, mm. it's a it's a short film, so it's only like 16 minutes long, but it's it being a comedy, it works a lot better when there's an audience than sure. uh, us sitting in front <laughs> of it watching it on a monitor alone. I started to be like, is it good? I don't know. I'm not laughing anymore, <laughs> you know, because you, you work on something for so long, it starts to surprise it stops surprising you. But it was really great to have it in this lineup of, you know, eight to ten other really great short films and see how we we matched up and and hearing people who have no connection to the movie laughing at it. And it was 
it was really wonderful. So yeah, we've got that. And that's going to go to Orlando Film Fest in uh, a few weeks, uh, which mm. I'm excited about. And hopefully we'll get into more over the over the few months. And I'm thinking about making another short film out there and, you know, uh, writing lots of books. So I have a fantasy novel that has been rattling around in my brain since I was in college. And I got this random idea about an allegory of, uh, you know, at the time, more fantasy peoples mapped to the uh, governments or the systems of government that we've known in our, in our history. So I think it was a history class that I was <laughs> coming up with this idea. But of course, it's morphed and changed uh, so much since then and, and been going on. And I'm actually in 110,000 words in that novel now and in the, the final stretches kind of get like maybe two or three more chapters uh, before the first draft is complete. And then I have to jump into the fun of, of revising and editing and making sure it all stays consistent throughout. And, you know, I, I actually had a meeting with my agent today to talk about ways mm. to follow up from uh, Welcome to Dragon Talk, uh, doing a nonfiction book that would um, not necessarily be D&D specific, but would be about like how gaming in general, kind of some of the things we're talking about, gathering them around a fire, but how games provide the social landscape for communities to form uh, and how that's a really vital, important part for, for many different people out there, but especially folks who are, you know, neurodivergent in some way or, you know, uh, I mean, I know my ADHD brain gets really hard. It gets hard for me to, to, to get excited about hanging out with people. I don't know if that's you, you guys, but <laughs> I have certainly friends that I love hanging out with, but like I need that, oh, let's play a game together. Yeah, and 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 engage with the game while also engaging on a social level. I I need those those types of things, and so the 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 book is going to delve into that, and and also like you know how much we went into that for for the pandemic when we were uh, separated for so long, and how you know I'm sure you guys heard of like people joining on 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 Zoom to play trivia or or whatever and sure. game that way as well as D and D, you know, and like how that had a had a whole bunch of people joining up and playing them at that time. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to sell that book and, and get that going so that I can, you know, continue the trend of, of, of community building around games uh, and make that happen. So I'm also writing full length screenplays. I have a, a sci-fi apocalyptic uh, TV show that I've been developing. I've got a pitch deck for that if you guys want to hear it. So if you know any producers who are uh, looking at, uh, at, at, at you know multi million dollar apocalyptic TV shows, you know, let me know and I'll I'll pitch them to them. <laughs> we do have plenty of those in Central Illinois, believe it or not. So. <laughs> I've heard that's a hotbed for for uh, Red Dawn, wasn't it Red Dawn? <laughs> Wolverines, Wolverines. <laughs> wow, you, I, I've got to. I'd like to have your clock. Because you got to have more hours in the day than than I do, because that is that is phenomenal. I love the, all these projects that you've going got going on, and uh, and well, and then you took some time to talk to us. So we truly appreciate that. It's been wonderful having you join us in the dungeon tonight, no and uh, let everyone know if you will uh, where they can follow you, keep up with your projects, or keep up with the things going on at Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons and Dragons. Sure. Yeah. I am at Greg Tito on most social media platforms. So if you search for that, you should be able to find me. I now have a website, gregtito.com, where I am showcasing some of those projects I was I was just talking about. 
uh, including ex-husband. There's, you know, I've been updating that with photos from the premiere, so you get to see the cast and the crew. Uh, if you go to that webpage there, and then I also mentioned I have a Star Trek podcast where I've been watching all of the episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation with friends of mine who were uh, of the, the, a similar age. You know, we're all Gen Xers who really loved that series. And uh, this was also a pandemic uh, thing where we're like, I want some comfort. I want Jean-Luc Picard mm. and, 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 and <laughs> Counselor Troy to tuck me in at night uh, because I feel real bad about the world. And it was, it's wonderful going back in time and watching those episodes. They hold up remarkably well. And I feel like, you know, in addition to D&D, I think Star Trek taught me a lot about uh, working together and, and, and solving mm-hmm. problems. And so mm-hmm. if that is of any interest to you, check that out. It's called Re-Engage. We're in season five now. We're past 100 episodes. And wow. uh, it's we, we put it in the context of what was happening when the episode aired. And so, you know, from 1987 to 91 now, you're like, that's the fall of the Berlin Wall. That's the unification of Germany. That's the fall of the USSR. And all these things that like were then dramatized in Star Trek. Because they were writing those themes. And, you know, it felt like there was this this march oh, towards wow. a utopia. Uh, but yeah, we make sure and you know put it in that context because it really does make us feel young again uh, watching these episodes. Yeah, so check that, that out. That's Like I said, it's re-engaged. It's everywhere you find podcasts. And I'm on Twitter less than I, I used to be doing more stuff on Blue Sky. Uh, I feel like that's a burgeoning platform that I see a lot of you know authors and, and uh, commentators kind of gravitating towards. So look for me more on there. But then, of course, I post pictures on uh, Instagram a bunch uh, as well. So... Look for me on all those places. Very good. Well, Greg, I hope we get a chance to visit again. And uh, until next time, this is is how we close out the show. I thought I heard Mm -hmm. some dice rolling somewhere. It's so appropriate. (laughs) I I love the way that, you know, you've got the drunky two shoes. uh, (laughs) is how you close out your show. But, But so I always say, until next time for us, until next week for our listeners, Everybody keep rolling those 20s. We'll see you later, folks. Yeah. That wraps up today's session. So thank you for listening to Teachers in the Dungeon. We appreciate you and your feedback. Until the next time we see you in the dungeon, we hope you roll high on those saving throws. If you enjoyed the show and want to hear what happens in the adventure, subscribe to the podcast. Have questions, thoughts, or ideas? Check the show notes for our website, and our contact information. This podcast is not affiliated or endorsed by Wizards of the Coast, Hasbro, or any other third-party Dungeons & Dragons entity. Teachers in the Dungeon is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds and any other related items are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders in the U.S. or abroad. The official Dungeons & Dragons website can be found at www.dnd.wizards.com.